At Emory University's Goizueta Business School, we believe in going beyond what is to build what should be. Because when you change your perspective, you can change business for the better. In an ever-changing marketplace, we seek to make our mark, to achieve more, build more, do more, create more. That's the Goizueta Effect. I'm your host, Gretchen Wright. Today we'll be discussing the impact of recessions on people's behavior and attitudes with Associate Professor Emily Bianchi. Professor Bianchi is an expert in the area of how the state of the economy affects people's outlooks and actions. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. You've done some research, or actually a, a great deal of research, into the impact of recessions on a variety of behaviors. Can you tell me what motivated you to take up this area of research? Yeah, so I got interested in this type of research during the Great Recession. And during that time, I was in graduate school. I was in the middle of graduate school, and I was at the period where I was kind of finished with my coursework and and thinking about what kind of questions I wanted to ask as an independent scholar. And the Great Recession recession hit like a ton of bricks. It came, um, it, it seemed to come out of nowhere, at least from my perspective. And it was striking to me how much uh, behavior changed and you you could really feel it everywhere and it you know it almost felt like people were moving differently or that the sense in the air was really palpable and so i wanted to know you know from a psychological perspective how does this affect us we know a fair amount about how it affects our economic behavior um, but I, want, I was interested in how does it affect our interpersonal behavior, our sense of self, our, our ethical compass, all sorts of sort of, sort of questions. And I, um, as I started to delve into the literature, there, there really had, wasn't a lot out there on that. There wasn't a great understanding of, of how we change in recessions. And so that captured my attention and my interest, and it's held my interest and attention ever since. Now, one of the things that you've been you've looked at is the impact of recessions on people's sense of of individuality or I guess of individualisticness. Um, can you talk a little bit about what what the effect is? Sure. So there is a um, a paradigm in psychology that looks at um, cross cultural differences in individualism versus collectivism. So in more individualistic societies. Uh, there is an emphasis on standing out from others, on um, being different, on expressing one's uniqueness. And in more interdependent or collectivistic societies, there is an emphasis on not standing out, on being part of a group, on attuning to the needs and interests and goals of the group, and on ensuring that the group is successful. And in the United States, um, you know, individualism is is embedded in our our founding documents. It's embedded in our legal system. It's embedded in our, you know, in our history, in our literature, in our music, and it really is a a kind of core part of our identity in the United States. And we've seen in the literature um, that that individualism has increased over time in the U.S. So. There have been a lot of really interesting studies showing that, um, for instance, we are much more likely now to give children unusual or unique names for their birth year than we were in the 1950s. We are uh, more likely to socialize our children to stand out from others, to be different. And 
to find their unique identity uh, than we used to be. Our music is more self-focused, less relationally focused than it used to be. Our books are more self-focused and less relationally focused. And so we are you know, seemingly becoming even more individualistic. You know, cross-culturally, we, when you look across cultures at measures of individualism, the United States typically scores higher than any other country in the world. And so I, this is a literature I've, I've followed and found interesting for, for a long time. I wondered, you know, does our, does our individualism fluctuate? Does it fluctuate with the economy? Do we become less individualistic in recessions, more interdependent, more collectivistic? So I looked at that across a series of different mediums, a, a series of different measures of individualism. Um, the first one, as a, as a new parent, I found um, at the time, I found this measure of, of individualism through new baby names as, as particularly interesting and relevant and exciting. It, there is a, a strong sense, an increasing sense among many parents of, of desiring to give a child a name that helps them stand out, that everybody else doesn't have. And um, that is one measure of individualism. Cross-culturally, when you look at, at, at cultures that score higher on individualism, you see that children are much more likely to get u- unique and unusual names. And so as a starting point, I was wondering if, um, you know, in the United States during recessions, are we less likely to give a child an unusual name? Do we kind of go back to those core common names um, that, that are prevalent during the time the child's born? So I looked at this from, from the 1940s onward, and I looked at the percentage of both boys and girls who were given the most popular name of their birth year, or one of the top 10, 25, or 50 most common names. And I wanted to know, you know, in times of higher unemployment, are kids more likely to get one of the most common names? And across all those metrics, that's what I found, that the worse the economy was doing, um, as measured by the unemployment rate, the more likely a, ch- a newborn was to give, uh, to, to receive a, a name that was relatively common for, for their birth year. The second kind of look at that, um, I looked at, at socialization values. So we see across cultures very different, you know, strong differences in socialization values. What do we want, what values do we want to transmit to our children? What I um, looked at was from the General Social Survey. So the General Social Survey has been conducted since the 1970s. It's conducted every year or two years, depending on the time period. And among many other questions, they ask people who are parents, um, you know, what values do you hope to um, give to your children? And looking uh, across the time period I had um, from the 1972 to, I believe it was 2015, um, you know, the higher the unemployment rate, the, the less focused parents were on, you know, having children who kind of stood out from others and thought for themselves and were independent. And the more focused they were on interdependent values, such as helping other people or getting along with other people. Um, in a third version of this, I looked at adults and I found similar, similar um, evidence that, that our sense of trying to stand out and be different from other people fluctuates with the economy. So adults were less likely to um, enthusiastically endorse individualistic measures um, when the economy was doing poorly and much more likely to do so when it was doing well. And finally, I looked at one of um, kind of my favorite 
studies into this is is um, when I looked at popular lyric, uh, lyrics of popular American songs. There has been some compelling evidence suggesting that in more individualistic countries, um, music and and literature is more self-focused. So there is a greater use of um, singular first-person pronouns. So I, me, mine. And in uh, more collectivistic or interdependent cultures, there's a greater use of um, first-person plural pronouns, we, us, ours. And so I wanted to know in our music, um, do we see a fluctuation in pronouns depending on the economy? So do we see in um, good economic times that we see more self-focus, that we see more music that, that with language of, you know, consisting of, of the self, I, me, mine. Um, and during recessions, are we more likely to see we, us, ours? And so I looked at all every um, top 10, Billboard top 10 song from 1980 to 2016 and looked at the percentage of words in each song that were self-focused, first-person singular pronouns, or other focus, first-person plural pronouns. And again, I found that in, in bad economic times, we used fewer I words, fewer me, fewer self-focused words, and more we words. So more first-person plural pronouns and fewer of the first person singular pronouns. So across all of these very different metrics from you know how we raise our children to uh, what music becomes popular and widely circulated, we see this same sort of pattern where um, in, in better economic times, we Americans at least seem to be more self-focused and during worse economic times, we seem to be more interdependent. What are some of the downsides to to highly individualistic society or highly individualistic people are, are and are there any many uh, social commentators have noted that as we become more individualistic we also have you know as we have collectively become more individualistic the you know Americans have also become lonelier um, they're more socially isolated Americans have fewer friends than they used to have you know, there seem to be mental health consequences to this. You know, it's, it's hard to you know, neatly isolate each of these various factors. It, you know, it is commonly argued that individualism is associated with um, greater loneliness. When, when people are in sort of in times of economic downturn, it seems like they kind of the odds of you know, feeling lonely would be sort of reduced by feeling like you're part of a group and you're all, I guess, in this together. What are some of the downsides of people, though, moving away from a sense of individuality in hard times, more towards wanting to be part of a group? And and do those groups have a particular kind of a look? Are they homogeneous in any way? Usually when we're more interdependent, we're not, um, or more collectivistic, we're not more interdependent towards everybody else. We're typically more interdependent towards people who are like us or people who are in our in-group. Often, not always, but often that is associated with um, greater derogation of dissimilar others. And so we often see that um, in societies that are very collectivistic uh, or very interdependent, you often see a lot more wariness of outsiders you often see stricter immigration laws. 
Um, you see kind of more homogeneity in terms of, you know, less diversity. Uh, it's not kind of this interdependence towards all of mankind or womankind. It's kind of interdependence towards similar others. And one of kind of the dark sides of that is often when we feel more highly identified with in-groups, we then derogate out-groups. Not always, but often. So um, that's a that's a real a considerable downside with greater interdependence. And that's I think something you've you've looked at too is the impact of recessions on people's attitudes toward people who are different than they are. So you know racism, uh, that that kind of thing, um, xenophobia. Is is it more than just the group wanting to be part of a group? Is there something else in a recession that triggers the sort of um, fear or dislike of people who are different. So one of the reasons we kind of lean on um, others, and that's what interdependence essentially is, is leaning on and giving and taking from other people, um, is one of the reasons we do that is to manage uncertainty. And so uncertainty is, is you know, palpable during bad economic times, and it's palpable you know, in, in many hard situations. One of the ways we manage uncertainty is by kind of looking for perceptual order. So looking for kind of order in the world and, um, and sense-making in the world. And we, part, part of that is to see things in much more rigid terms. You know, there's some really interesting studies like when people, you know, our categorizations strategies seem to be more rigid um, when we are in periods of uncertainty. So, for example, in in a study done by others, they looked at uh, whites categorizing biracial faces. And, um, you know, there was a lot of kind of going back and forth in, um, in, in good economic times of whether that person was black or whether they were white. And um, and in, in bad economic times, it was just clearly like that person's black, that person's other. Um, there were very, um, the people's kind of categorization strategies seemed to be different. When asked to judge things like skin tone, people, uh, white Americans are, you know, judge blacks um, as, as having darker skin cones, which is historically associated with being more threatening um, and, and associated with fear. And um, so you see kind of all of these strategies that seem to be, you know, at their core, this impulse to manage uncertainty and to make easy categorizations and similar other fault lines. And what um, sort of metrics did you use to to measure um, levels of racism in in recessions versus during good economic times? Yeah, so what I was really interested in was racial attitudes um, and how they change depending on the economy. And this has been sort of an issue that um, has has been widely studied and and, uh, and debated for many years, um, but only in, in recent years do we have kind of the data to really look at this systematically across different country. I mean, across different states and different time periods and. What I wanted to know was, and my co-authors and I wanted to know was, you know, given, you know, if, if people become more interdependent um, during recessions in, in the United States, do they also become more negative towards outgroup members? And 
which is, as I mentioned before, one consequence of greater interdependence. And so what we did is we first started out by looking at attitudes. So um, there is data on, on attitudes uh, whites have towards blacks that goes back to the late 1960s from the American National Election Survey. And so what we wanted to do is there's this, this common uh, metric that um, social scientists use to measure attitudes towards um, people who are in your in-group um, called a feeling thermometer. So how warmly do you feel towards, in this case, African-Americans? Or how warmly do you feel towards Catholics or, or whatever the group might be? And so what we wanted to know was, do, do people's responses to this question vary depending on the economy? So in bad economic times, do, Ameri- do white Americans feel more negatively towards black Americans? That was our central question. And so we started off looking at the data from the 1960s onward and uh, found that the, the worse the economy was doing, the more negatively uh, whites felt towards blacks. So the you know on that feeling thermometer, the more coolly uh, people felt. Um, if you look at it as kind of a you know thermometer, then we uh, built on that study by looking at a um, kind of a richer metric of attitudes towards African Americans. So there is data collected by Project Implicit, and many people I have found to talking over the years have probably taken this. Um, there is something pretty famous called the implicit attitudes test. And the idea here is that, um, you know, very fewer and fewer Americans every decade, white Americans, um, will at least admit to uh, public uh, explicit negative racial attitudes. But yet we still know that a lot of these kind of systematic measures of discrimination are still very prevalent. And so how do we explain this? Well, some researchers have argued, well, there's implicit um, associations that people have. So you don't even recognize kind of uh, associations your brain has towards various different outgroup members. Um, And often those associations are negative. And so what what you're tasked to do in this is to um, basically to see pictures of white faces and pictures of black faces and um, as quickly as you can um, categorize them and so how it works is there is a picture of a a black face and then you see words that are positive or negative and you're supposed to um, you know categorize it as quickly as you can match you know depending on the prompt in some cases you're supposed to to put the black and the negative word together. In other cases, you're supposed to put the black and the positive word together. Um, and then you do it with whites and the white and the positive word and the white and the negative word. Essentially what these studies find or what these exercises or, or tasks show is that um, most people, many Americans can quickly um, pair white and positive words together and quickly pair white and negative words together. I'm sorry, black and negative words together, but when they are flipped, so when it becomes black, positive, white, negative, um, people have, it takes them longer. So the idea there is that these are kind of these implicit associations that, you know, when, when a association is well developed in our brains, we can do things really quickly when it is, counter normative or counter to what our association is it's it takes us longer you know this this kind of training is often given in corporations throughout the united states of of, of implicit attitudes um showing that even though many you know people will say they don't harbor these 
these attitudes, when we look at these kind of subliminal primes or subliminal prompts, we, we still see them. So what we were able to do in, in the second study was to look at um, whether implicit attitudes became more negative during the Great Recession. Um, so the really kind of interesting thing about the time period we have, we had from 2003 to 2016, and you know that was a period that started off you know, economically very well. Um, we all sank into the Great Depression and Great Recession, and then we came uh, back out of it during that time period. And what you see in, in implicit and explicit attitudes, because they also ask people explicit attitudes, and what you see across both of them is that the worse the economy was doing that month, the more negative whites' attitudes were towards blacks, both implicit attitudes and explicit attitudes. So we were able to look at um, the state economy. And what we found was you know, that, that states that were really hard hit by the uh, Great Recession, um, you saw a greater spike or greater negativity in whites' attitudes towards blacks. Um, and in states that were less hard hit, uh, the cha- there wasn't as much of a change. And so that kind of suggested to us that, that the economy is an important piece of this, um, that, you know, of course, there are many other factors that go into it, um, but that, that that's one of many. And are there any implications for businesses um, of, of your findings, um, things that businesses should be thinking about um, as, you know, if they want to maintain a, a diverse workforce? or if they want to maintain a diverse customer base? You know, I think awareness is a huge part of it. Um, there are, you know, a lot of the, I should segue by saying in, a, in another study in terms of what how this affects working life, um, a colleague and I, a co-author and I have found that um, the racial wage gap increases during recessions. So there's a, a pretty substantial wage gap in what whites earn versus what blacks earn, even controlling for the industry they're in, their level of education, um, their age, all sorts of other factors. It still emerges and it's pretty pretty large. And we, we wanted to know, does, does that increase during recessions? Does that wage gap increase for the reasons I've, I've mentioned? And we found that it does. And a lot of the kind of driving force behind that is who gets fired. Um, and blacks are more likely to get fired during recessions than whites. And um, when they get rehired, um, they, they take a bigger hit in their um, salary. So generally when people get laid off in recessions, they often take a salary hit when they re-enter the workforce, and that's even more true for African-Americans in this country. This is not the time to let your foot off the gas, right? This is a time to put it harder on. Um, you know, a lot of times during recessions, people are kind of stripped down to focusing on the bottom line and trying to cut as many things as possible. And I think one of the lessons from this is that diversity efforts are probably the last thing that should be cut uh, or one of the, you know, one of the last things that, that should be cut. I think that, that that kind of wraps it up. Thank you very, very much for your time. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. For more information about the Goizueta Effect podcast, please visit emory.biz slash podcast. <laughs>